3: He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing.
1: Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santorowski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past week in racing and what a week it's been with a lot of stories to talk about. Uh, joining me in the studio are Seth Eggert and Richard Uden. Fellas, how you doing? We're
3: good. Doing
0: thank well. You.
1: Good. I want to give a shout out to our uh, our other panelist, Gray Warren. He's not been with us. He he is feeling under the weather. And Gray, if you're listening, I just want to tell you we hope you get better, buddy, uh, and that we hope you can join us uh, maybe in a week's time. So, but we are we are missing. We are thinking about you. So, with that being said, a lot of news coming out this week. And yes, we did have a NASCAR race out in California, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But there's uh, uh, one of the the bigger stories is the. Uh, the next test of the Gen Seven car, and that was that was run out there at Fontana after the race, and one of the features of the car that has NASCAR fans losing their minds, was the move to a single lug nut. Now we've we've talked about this a couple of times on the show, and I've always my my opinion has always been, well, you know, why aren't we doing this in the in the first place? Because we've always had the silly lug nut penalties, or the guys trying to only do four lug, four lug nuts instead of five. But I just I just can't believe. The extent that that people are losing their minds over this, saying that this is this is the next thing that's going to be the death of NASCAR. Oh my God, it's a stock car doesn't have a single lug nut; it has five. Well, there's nothing stock about a stock car. So, uh, guys, let's let's talk about uh, the Gen Seven car. Let's start with the um with with, with the, the new wheels and the the new lug nuts.
2: Well, first off, they're moving from a 15-inch steel wheel to an 18-inch forged aluminum wheel whoa will that be strong enough uh, according to nascar it will (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's the other argument they say
1: those wheels will never hold up that car i'm like you know what i see uh aluminum wheels on big pickup trucks around town all the time
2: first off uh corinth nascar it will they've been running that in tests so this is the fourth test that they've uh done with the Gen 7 car, or the next-gen car, as they call it. Uh, it's going. It has been designed by Delara, famously from IndyCar and all of that, and it's going to be built by a company called Technique, which has apparently taken up residence in one or two of the buildings in the Roush Fenway compound, which is across the street from the NASCAR R&D Center. Uh, That being said, it is going to have one lug nut per wheel. Uh, The reason why is in these tests with the aluminum wheel, four lug nuts, three lug nuts, which occasionally teams will do to try to quicken pit stops, lead to a lot of vibration in the wheel, enough that it could damage the wheel. So a single lug nut is essentially a safety uh, improvement. If you look but it's, all,
1: it's only been done in other forms of racing since you know I want to say back in the in the 50s when they used to have the knockoff uh, yeah, wheels So yeah. it's, it's 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 been around in all forms of racing for a while, and it really it takes the margin of error out of out of uh, tightening the lug nuts because you could get a guy all the way you know halfway into a lap before you realize he's got a loose lug nut, right? But if that one lug nut is loose, you'll probably know before you're off a pit lane.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, on, on top, I would say maybe even before you get two or three pit stalls away. That being said, one of the major complaints has been that it doesn't look like a stock car, that stock cars don't have single lug nuts, or at least ones that are under $100,000. Well, here's my thing with this. If you look at a stock <laughs> car, some have four lug nuts. Some have five lug nuts. Some have six. So if you really want to complain, where have, been, where have the people who have six lug nuts and four lug nuts been complaining that NASCAR is inaccurate? The trucks, which have had five lug nuts, uh, the truck series since its inception, they have five lug nuts while all trucks have six lug nuts. Again, this is just NASCAR fans being overtly picky, which maybe it's because they're a little traditionalist. Maybe maybe it's because they're stubborn, or maybe it's a mix of everything.
1: So when do you reckon the last time a true stock car raced?
2: 1960. 1960?
1: 1960?
2: Yes, because...
1: That's when they came out with the the aluminum tube frames, right?
2: Uh, Give or take, yes. And the other reason why I was going to say that is it was after the biggest crash in NASCAR history that claimed 48 out of 60 starters in the Daytona 500 in which 8 of them flipped that they started moving towards a commonality uh, between stock cars or a relative commonality because of how big of a safety issue it was when he had some of these high top uh, almost legend car like cars flipping versus a coupe for example
1: and it wasn't that many years ago that we had the common template. Correct. Right, and all the cars pretty much look the same other than the decals of the headlights. You know, now, now we've gone to a car that looks... You know, we've got a different nose and a different tail on the car, and maybe a different window profile, so it kind of looks more like the the production car is supposed to represent. So now, this Gen Seven car or next Gen car is this is this a step back towards like the common template days, or will no, there be?
2: No, there will be manufacturer identity built in to each car, so a Chevy will look like a Chevy, and it will not look like either the other two cars or. Other three or other four, if other manufacturers come in, there will be some common areas. More than likely, the greenhouse. Otherwise, the rest of the car will be unique to the manufacturer. Okay.
1: All right. Well, that's that's certainly a positive move there because people do like to have their their identities. You know, you want to be able to tell your your you know your Ford from your Toyota. Um, now, is this as far as the, the building materials for the car, is there anything that's remarkably different about the uh, – I mean, are, are we doing composite bodies and things like that yet? Or That
2: hasn't been announced as of yet. Uh, a lot of speculation is that it will be a, a, a composite body. Uh, the wheel is being manufactured by a company called BBS. Which is a German-based company. Uh, their headquarters in the U.S. is in Brazilton, Georgia. Uh, as, as far as the body overall is concerned, NASCAR hasn't made a final decision as of yet.
1: Okay, now Richard, you've been a little quiet over there. What are, what are some of your thoughts uh, on the car, and what are you, what are you hearing? What do you like? What do you dislike with what you're hearing?
3: Um, I think any pro- any. Progression is good. Um, I think going to a single lugnut is a logical move. I think it's a move that's needed. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit offline. You know, the, the next thing they're going to have to address, I think, is the fuel can uh, and go to a fueling system. I mean, it still amazes me that in 2020 we have fuel cans that just, put it bluntly, piss fuel everywhere every pit stop. I mean, it's unbelievable. When we were at, uh, you know, when I was working on this, we were doing a lot of investigation because we had a couple of unfortunate incidents where our rear tyre change got quite badly burnt because, as the uh, as the fuel spilled over the rear left tyre, as it would be, and there hitting the lug nuts, sparks were igniting, and we had a couple of quite nasty accidents with some of our tyre changes. Um, You know, they've got to keep going forward. They've got to keep moving. They've got to keep, um, you know, developing. But one of the things I hope we can find from uh, this this design of car uh, is 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 close the window for um, how should we put it shenanigans that goes on in the sport Um, because there is you know NASCAR deliberately keep the window for car variances quite small. You know, the idea is that these are stock cars and there's not that, uh, you know, there's not a lot you can do to to modify them outside of your basic setup. And, you know, all the teams are pretty good with their simulation and the like, and they can get pretty close to the optimum car setup reasonably quickly. So they end up spending time, you know, developing suspension parts which twist and contort and body panels that get pushed in and, and all these sort of things, which the amount of money that gets spent developing these little loophole or these little methods for sort of, you know, getting around the regulations, that's half the problem, um, you know, that, that, that people complain about. And it's becoming too expensive. To actually run a stock car, it's not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. It's where you see the, the you know the bigger teams manipulate the rules and push the rules and come up with all these little tricks and tweaks and and to put it bluntly cheating that um, you know it inflates the costs costs massively. So if they can create these cars so you have a slightly wider window of setup and configuration, then I think it'll actually make the sport cheaper in the long run. So I, I think it's a good move.
2: And three things uh, essentially building off of everything you just said. One, they're changing the suspension, they're changing the drivetrain uh with the new car. So that's why they're changing the wheel and the tire all at or the wheel, the tire, and the lug nut all at the same time to do one change. They're changing the engine, I believe the goal is twenty twenty-two or twenty twenty-three. I would expect them to change the fuel system at the same time if they do choose to change it. Because that would be the best time to do it all at once. As far as saving money is concerned, there is a team that has spent $8,000 per lug nut in research for a faster lug nut that will go on and off oh, the yeah. studs. We used to do that. We had and,
3: like double-thread lug nuts and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. And, yeah.
2: And doing the math uh, from this past weekend, that team, which is a four car team, spent two point four million dollars on lug nuts.
1: That's nuts,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you were going to do that,
1: of course, yeah, so, but I mean, so what what we'll see is likely uh, Richard I you and I talked about this the other day, we'll have uh, a pit stop where the fuel will take longer than the tire change. Which
3: I mean, has, is yeah
1: has to be. Wh- yeah which is what you see in indycar now they're they're yeah. always done with the tires and we're waiting for the fuel so and then of course we're still waiting a, a, a longer amount of time you know with the, the two can two can system in nascar but as it can't be that many years before they go to a um uh you know a gravity feed you know system i mean indycar had some problems with um with, with like sticking catch valves and whatnot where they had some, some pit fires in the eighties and they've really done a good job of, of, you know, a pit fire in Indy is really a, a thing of the past where those, I, those systems the, are, are top notch. Yeah. So I think
2: the most recent one might've been Tony Knawn in Edmonton, uh, 2011 or so. Uh, but going along the same vein as some of this, uh, speaking of pit stops, one of the things that fans are concerned about is that they're going to lose one of the uh, competition variables in the tire changers and the tire carriers. That's not going away. NASCAR is not going to go to an IndyCar or an F1-style pit stop in which the out, you're going to have four tire changers waiting on the car to come in. They are still going to be going o- over the wall, running around the car like how they do now. Instead of five on and five off, it will be... One on and one
3: off. I mean, people, that's, that's just, silly. people still, you know, I mean, goodness me, even in IndyCar and form One with one lug nut, I mean, IndyCar, I know the Indy 500, they still do the pit stop challenge sort of thing. And in, um, you know, Formula One, you know, the, I can't remember who does it now, does the, um, um, you know, award at the end of the season for the fastest pit stop. So it's, you know, I, that's which NASCAR still going to be interested.
2: NASCAR used to do that. They used to have a uh pit crew challenge. They used to have an award for the fastest uh pit crew each week and then became each year. And now the only reason why they don't is they don't have a sponsor for it.
0: Was not the actual voice of a winner.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you, don't, you know, if you don't have an award to hand out, yeah, but I mean, so so we're still using, you know, traditional jacks, right? where We're going to yeah. carry the jack around the car as well. You know, we're not we're not going to air jacks yet. A lot of folks say, oh, what's next, air jacks? <laughs> well, honestly, yeah, what we right what, what would be wrong with that? You well, know, again, it's only been used in other forms of racing for years, so
2: air, air um, jacks likely are not going to be coming at all, at least to NASCAR uh one of the reasons why is essentially because of that variable they want to keep the human variable in a jackman going over the wall to jack the car up
1: okay i mean yeah, that that's all well and good you know that's how you know so but uh so um so we had uh who was testing the car was it was it Bowman Byron Byron, Byron. William Byron was testing the car and he actually um had a little
2: a little, t- 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 a, little Two, a little incident. A little
1: incident. Two, in fact, yeah, did he, um, he damaged the car to hurt he spun, spot, but he, he tapped the wall lightly, didn't damage it incredibly, but...
2: Yeah, essentially, it proves that this car is going to be hard to drive, which they should not be easy to drive to begin with. Uh, every driver who has driven it so far which that's Eric Jones, that's Joey Logano, that's Austin Dillon, and now William Byron, have said that the car does not save itself. The car is hard to drive. If you get loose, you have to work for it. and That's proof positive, and that should bring about exciting racing.
1: That should appeal to the NASCAR purists who want something that's where a lot of it's in the driver's hands. You know that's that's one of the that's one of the knocks on um, restrictor plate racing that all the cars are so evenly matched. You just you know just keep your foot in it, um, <laughs> you know. So uh, I mean I think that's an exciting thing. That's it's a car that's difficult to drive and it'll really it'll put a focus on the the guy behind the wheel. And, and not as much as the, um, the you know, the guys trimming out the aerodynamics.
3: Yeah, it should be. It should be. It you know, it's not meant to be easy. You know, <laughs> these guys are supposedly the best stock car racers in the world. So, now, you know, want to see now, them get loose and get sideways and, the, uh, you know, have to, uh, you know, control them and drive properly and, you know, good on it.
2: Now, uh, speaking of Uh, This car, it's going to debut not in the Bush Clash next year. It's going to debut in Daytona 500 qualifying next year. The Bush Clash next year will use the 2020 car. However, it will not be on the super speedway. It will be on the Daytona road course at night on Tuesday. So essentially
1: what we're what we're doing here, this is the the Bush Clash is just a, a money grab race. No points up for grabs, and once that car is damaged, um, no no need to fix it because it's retired. So yeah, <laughs> we're gonna see some uh, uh, some carnage there, I would imagine.
3: But um, you, also Yeah, you know, I'm
1: just just saying. So sorry,
3: sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. It does actually raise an interesting question here. So with the Gen Seven car, uh, with, with current cars, each team will have basically four styles of car they'll have a super speedway car they'll have a standard mile and a half two mile car they'll have a short track car and a road course car is this being continued then are delara developing four cars for the teams or four chassis and four suspension configurations or is this going to be one stock car
2: i believe it's just going to be one and that's as of my knowledge right now i may be wrong but one of the reasons why is it's going to have an independent uh, rear suspension.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be proper suspension, not which stupid terms. Sh-
2: which should uh, make it more maneuverable.
3: Oh, yeah, massively. Yeah.
2: And one of the reasons why, at least, again, this is my knowledge, it being more maneuverable would make it much more conducive, not only to a traditional road course, not just to a uh, roval like daytona or charlotte but also conducive to a street course mm. so with all of that in mind i would expect if they make multiple versions the road course version would be versatile for all three forms of a road course
1: yeah, NASCAR has been floating out the idea of doing a street course somewhere.
3: Now, now also a pretty big street course. I mean, you know I don't know. We've seen we've seen some
1: stock cars like the Canadian version of NASCAR, uh, the Pinty series, they they run at um,
2: uh, exhibition to, place to,
1: at Toronto, yeah, which is a rather narrow circuit, but they 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 put on a pretty good show there. Uh,
2: one of the places that has been mentioned. Uh, Is possibly a street course outside of Soldier Field, which that would be interesting considering NASCAR back in the day used to actually race at Soldier Field.
1: The back of the old Soldier Field, yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, Whether or not that comes to pass,
1: the
2: the schedule is going to come out April 1st. So,
1: so April Fool's April Fool's Day, we're putting uh, out a schedule. So that's when there's some crazy oh, on there. We we'll have to wonder: is that legit, or is that your April <laughs> Fool's joke? So well, that's,
2: that's, that's funny. Their, that's their self-imposed deadline. When you so beyond, you're probably going to start
3: questioning that one, aren't
2: you? <laughs> oh well, Gon Brothers had a good one last year with their April Fool's joke, posting a schedule claiming that NASCAR was going to go across the to race at Brands Hatch and people fell for it.
3: That'd be a great place for them to go. Perfect setup. Perfect. The Indy course at Brands Hatch? Yeah. That'd be... Actually, they're jerking apart. If they do ever do a European race, you're probably going to... That's probably the perfect place for it. Pit lane, probably not big enough, but...
2: (laughs) Well, the Euro series runs there, so... Yeah,
3: but there's like five cars in that or something, isn't there? 25. Okay. Yeah, still not quite 40. Not quite forty. So, all right. So, in other news,
1: Tony Stewart
3: and has, has announced time.
1: that he's going to get back in the cockpit. He's going to run that. Uh, you know, we had talked about how they're they're moving the Indianapolis. Uh, uh, Xfinity race to the road course uh, on the Grand Prix circuit. So, uh, and that's drawn interest from a number of people. Uh, another guy that that I know is eagerly searching for a ride for that, and, and I believe he has something lined up. He'll be announcing soon. Is a uh, uh, certain Mr. James Hinchcliffe, uh, who's looking looking to do that. But uh, Tony Stewart, fan favorite, people love the guy. Um, I mean, he's still. He still actively races on on short tracks and sprint cars every now and again, does he not?
2: He does. He still does. uh, Well, what doesn't he do? He owns a race series. He owns a race track. He owns a race team, which he drives for that race team in that race series occasionally at that race track. Does he win?
3: Yes. That's a surprise. (laughs) You're not going (laughs) to win. uh, When are you going to win? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So,
2: but uh,
1: NAS- NASCAR fans will love love seeing Tony Stewart there, and that will certainly. I, I think that's going to put some uh, that uh, that Xfinity race on um on the road course. There's going to put some butts and some seats there because they've been, uh, you know, the Brickyard has been struggling for uh, a decent attendance number, and and I don't know that moving it to July 4th weekend is is helpful at all. But uh, but to have the gimmick of the road course. Uh, for the Xfinity race, and having Tony Stewart in there, and there's other guys that are, um, you know, looking at their schedules and seeing if they can get in there. That'd be, I think it's going to be a pretty neat event. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I always do enjoy the Xfinity cars on the road courses. They put on a great show at Road America, They put on a, and they put on a great show at Mid-Ohio.
2: They do, they do. And on top of that, uh, not only do you have that road course, so, not only do you have uh, Tony Stewart mm-hmm. running it, you might have James Hinchcliffe running it. Yeah. There are other drivers who are also expressing interest in running that. Uh, some from uh, the Cup Series, some from IMSA. So it should be an interesting race. Uh,
3: I mean, the, oh, sorry. The yeah, way hey, sorry, I finished, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in after you finish that. Sorry.
2: The the talk I'm hearing with the number of people interested in running, if they all got a ride. We would be sending as many people home as we are starting the race. Wow! Now that probably won't happen.
1: What's the, what's the limit on the starting for the uh, Xfinity series? So 36. So you're thinking there may be as many as 60, 70, 70 people interested in that, huh? Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That'd
1: be that'd be a, a throwback to the good old days when uh. 50 cars would show up in Indianapolis to make the 33 spots. That's uh that's pretty neat. I am I'm just I'm, I'm really glad that, that there's so much interest in that event. Um so and and that's going to be a good one. I I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I may I may actually drive up there for that one um just to check it out. I've never uh, you know as if I, I live 3 hours from Indianapolis, but I've never been up there um for the NASCAR weekend. So I might go check it out this year just just to have a look at that cuz I do I do enjoy um the, the road course in Indianapolis. I remember going to it uh, when I had Formula One there for a while and I always thought it was pretty neat. I enjoy the Indy Grand Prix and I think the Xfinity guys will put on a nice show there as well.
3: So, uh, yeah, so, so quickly, quickly, uh, my, my, my question here was, um, you know, obviously the, the Xfinity and Cook guys are running on the same weekend, but on different courses. I mean, they, the, the, one the logistics of reconfiguring the course uh, pretty, pretty much overnight to, uh, to get it all set up,
2: I've been told uh, that it will take about 90 minutes to swap really? the course. Uh, yes, and that reason yeah. why the yeah. reason why it's that quick and they know that's that quick, uh, it wasn't too long ago, I think three or four years ago, in which you had IMSA running the same weekend. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> for IMSA to swap over or Indy to swap over from IMSA to the Oval and back would only take about 90 minutes
3: okay there you go
1: it's just it's just a matter of moving those wall structures to close off the road course um and seal that up and you know so and flipping the switch
2: on uh time in scoring essentially Mm. yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah, because you're going you're going the opposite direction around the track so yeah but (laughs) i mean really it's 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 not it's not a huge deal to uh to switch from the one course to the other so
3: yeah
1: so in other news speaking of guys doing things out of their discipline so Jimmy Johnson has been in the news again. He's uh, He showed up at the uh, IndyCar test at uh, COTA. He was there. Um, a lot of fun, He's he's said that he would like to try driving an IndyCar or entering an IndyCar on a road course. So he's pretty much said he's not really interested in running the Indy 500 or running on an oval, but he would like to drive a IndyCar on a road course. And then he put a video on Twitter with him in his simulator running an IndyCar at Barber. And uh, while he was at COTA, he was seen talking with Zach Brown. Zach Zach Brown of McLaren had made some comments that he thinks Jimmy Johnson would be a good fit in an IndyCar. So today it was announced Jimmy Johnson is going to get a test in an IndyCar at Barber Motorsports Park um, in a McLaren car. So that'll be really interesting to watch it'll bring it'll certainly bring some eyes to indycar but uh uh you know richard seth what are, what are your thoughts on this uh, jimmy is, is jimmy really going to start a second career here or is he just so looking, to, looking right. to dabble so here's a
3: question here's a trivia question for you now this may be more in your realm frank so if to if, say if jimmy johnson does take up a ride next year for for um you know um arrow schmidt peterson mclaren jim bob whoever they are called um He'll be forty-five making his his debut. What's the oldest debutant in IndyCar history? The oldest debut? Yeah. yeah. Oh I mean, gosh. I forty-five is probably up there. I can't imagine as many. Yeah. Where, you know, I mean, I'm talking sort of modern era, not like the 1920s or whatever. Yeah, but none of happened.
1: none of those. I mean, you got you got guys like Mario who drove till they were fifty, and and. Well, not, but they didn't debut no. that that late in life. But, uh, but even if you look at if you look at the kind of condition he's in, oh, geez. you know the I kind mean, of shape geez. he's in, and look, and if you look at, I was I was reading an interview with uh, Takuma Sato, who is Takuma is now the oldest driver in the series, the oldest full time driver in the series now that Tony Kanan is part time. That dude is in great shape. Oh yeah, and, and Tony Kanon is forty five and he's in better shape. So I, I don't know who the oldest guy to debut in the series is. But 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 I do know that uh, that these guys are world class athletes and okay, age is sure. just a number. Yeah. You
3: know? Oh no. 100%, 100%. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I. Side 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 plot to it. But um, I think it's great. I mean, you know, it it shows the difference. There's some guys in. You know, NASCAR gets a bit of a rap, I guess, for you know a bad rap at times. You know, for oh, all they do is turn left. Which yeah, you know, there is a certain amount of that. But you know, a lot of these guys out here are actual serious race car drivers, you know. There's there's plenty of drivers in NASCAR that would never go near an open-wheel car, you know, just because they just couldn't do it. You know, it's not in their DNA, it's not in their makeup, it's not in their mentality. But to see guys like Jimmy say, you bring it on sort of thing, you know, he wants to experience it, he wants to learn it, he wants to be exposed to it. And I I firmly believe that, you know, the top, the top guys, you know, guys like Kyle Busch, Jimmy Johnson, uh, you know Jeff Gordon. If they'd pursued a single-seater career when they were fifteen, sixteen, rather than going down the the the, the sort of um, uh, stock car uh, path, they would have been a top indie car driver. You know, maybe even something like Kyle Busch could have made it to Formula One. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, well, certainly, yeah.
1: No, I mean, Jeff Gordon, no doubt, he was he, you know, started his career with designs on. Being an IndyCar driver and running at the Indy 500, it just yeah. so happened that he he found a lot of doors closed in his face, and he found some open doors in NASCAR, largely through uh, you know Ford and Chevrolet, who were were happy to take him on, and and that's still I you know a lot of your Indy IndyCar old timers will tell you that's the one that got away. Oh yeah, you know so and. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, just, I don't, you know, I don't believe Jimmy's going to take a full-time ride. He's, he said he's got no desire to, to run on the ovals, um, but uh, which well, is which, which is odd because he's uh, you know made his career on ovals. But uh, you know, I understand the.
2: To uh, be you know, fair. To be fair. Yes, he's made his career on ovals, but before he was a NASCAR driver, he was an off-road short-course trucks uh, driver. So he has not always been an Oval driver.
3: No. And it's ironic that he doesn't want to drive on the Ovals in a single-seater, because probably his biggest wreck was on a road course. I believe you're correct, yeah. At Watkins Glen, Uh, uh, was it brake uh, failure into turn one at Watkins Glen?
2: Yes, but but, uh, he has openly said that his uh, brake failure at Pocono uh, two years ago was bigger than that. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah. So listen, so I want to bring
1: this up. I want to bring this up, but we always talk about the, you know, NASCAR driver going to IndyCar as opposed to the IndyCar driver going to NASCAR, and there've been, there've been, you know, kind of very little success one way or the other. We did see Kurt Busch come over and be pretty darn competitive uh, when he ran the Indy 500. You know, he finished in the top ten, was Rookie of the Year, Um, and we've seen. Uh, a couple guys like Tony Stewart come out of the IRL and become successful in NASCAR, uh, but then we've seen a lot of you know drivers that have come over from the IndyCar series have a tough time in NASCAR. You know, like Dana's, Danica's career went nowhere for right. sure. I mean, I was. Dario Okay, that's where I'm going next.
2: Okay, <laughs> that's
1: where I'm going next. And um, so it, it was Dario Franchitti, and then uh, the other guy was Sam Hornish, who he ended up having okay an okay nascar career but he never really set the world on fire like he did in indy cars but it was dario Franchitti who who was who tried to put this into perspective and and he said that you know having driven both disciplines of cars that um it's a little easier for the nascar guy to come over to the indy car because the the Mm -hmm. car has better braking and it's it's lighter and it's more nimble and it handles better so these guys are used to you know, handling this big, large stock car, um, and the, the the initial tendency is to underdrive the car. Yeah. And then you get a guy who's used to an indie car with with uh, better braking and the car is lighter and more nimble. Get to the stock car, and they tend to overdrive it. Yeah. Um, and to to scale your driving back to the level of the car is harder than upping your game to the level of the oh, car. Yeah. And I and I've you know I've I've always. You know, kind of those comments from Dario have always kind of stuck with me, especially when people you know try to say that somehow an IndyCar driver is inferior because they fail no. and Na- fail in NASCAR. It's just they're used to a different discipline.
3: Yeah, and you look so, at the dynamic of, You look at the dynamics of an IndyCar as well. It's it's what I especially on you know Indianapolis. I think it's a prime example. It's it's what I would call, and this isn't demeaning it, but but it's a point-and-shoot car. You know, they generate so much downforce. And the brakes and suspension are so responsive that, that basically you just point the car in the direction you want it to go. And it will go there. Stock cars aren't configured that way. They're very, um, you know, the, the responsiveness of a stock car to a steering and a driver input, whether it be on the throttle or the brake, it, it is very slow in comparison. You know, it's it's almost like a, a speedboat compared to a ship, you know, an oil tanker, you know, that the, the a stock car almost like wallows around a corner yeah. and the, the ability to, um, you know, to dr- drive those. It's just not easy. And um, um, it takes a lot of, lot of finesse you, to drive something as big. It sounds silly. I know, but I think that's the, the case. A lot of the time here, here's something I'm going to bring up
2: with the next gen car and it being more maneuverable, more nimble with mm-hmm. an independent uh, rear suspension instead of truck arms. Do you think that might open up the possibility of more crossover and more successful crossovers
3: I don't think you're ever going to lose the the the, the raw um, the fundamentals of how um you know a stock car drives you know they're still going to be skew in the car they're still going to be you know you turn in and a lot of a lot of these mile and house you know your your driving style is to turn the car in. And just let it flow through the corner and then catch it on the exit and put your foot down. Whereas an, an Indy car is very, very different. You 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 turn the car in and then you you have to keep that input constant throughout the whole corner and and really you know drive the car through the corner. Whereas a stock car, because of its weight, it almost drives you through the corner. So there are fundamental differences between the two. And even with the the tweaks that they're making to. Um, you know the Gen Seven car. I I, I can't see it, um, you know, r- really making a huge difference. to so the 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 way it the dan the, the 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 dynamics of the car. Um, uh, I think they're going to be pretty similar.
1: Yeah, although I do want to say I think we're we are kind of approaching an era where we may see more crossover just in general, and 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 I I want to say this is kind of a little more sponsor driven you know where you have you where you had guys that were so loyal to their their full full season sponsors that they would or never, manufacturer. never or manufacturer that they would never step out but now you've got the whole sponsorship game is you heck you may you may have six different liveries a year just just to keep the car on yeah. the track so and and that's uh, so i don't think that's something that's necessarily holding guys back because we've seen a little more crossover lately, or even a little more interesting crossover. We haven't seen a ton of it yet, but there's been more interesting crossover and more talk about it. So I think that we may be moving into an area where we do yeah. see some more crossover.
2: A perfect example would be a Toyota and Lexus uh, last year with Jack Hawksworth coming and in, hopping into the number 18 Xfinity car at Joe Gibbs Racing. And in return, you had Kyle Busch running the Lexus in the 24 Hours of Daytona. And I believe both Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin have an open invite to run in the Lexus at the 24 hours of Daytona next year. So, right. You know, and saying, I mean,
1: factor into that, that you've got Kyle Bush is now evidently has the, the, the go ahead from his team owners to pursue a, a shot at the Indy 500, although it would have to be in a Chevrolet rather than a Honda. So, so there's that. So, we'll, we'll see. Um, Next story I want to tackle here has to do with Ferrari and the FIA and the, I guess, a petition, uh, (laughs) we the undersigned, rest of the teams. So, Richard, um, let me let you uh, explain that one to us there.
3: So, last year, there was a lot of discussion and talk about the Ferrari engine. And, you know, the teams, they're not stupid. You know, they know what's going on in the background. You know, Mercedes engineers will work for Ferrari. And Ferrari engineers, you know, everybody moves around, like any industry. And there'll be, you know, talk about, oh, we were at Ferrari, we did this, or Mercedes do that, and you know and what have you. And there was a lot of talk around the middle of the year about the uh, straight-line speed performance that Ferrari were able to generate. And a lot of that talk was... Ferrari had potentially come up with a a method of bypassing the fuel flow sensor. So in all Formula One cars, there is a sensor which monitors the fuel flow. And there's two metrics. You cannot consume more than a certain amount of fuel per hour and you cannot consume a certain amount of fuel instantaneously. So if you were to hit the maximum instantaneous value, you would use more fuel than the prescribed amount in an hour. So you have to manage it. You can. Go, you know, when they, you know, you'll hear the driver say, oh, you know, you can use mode engine mode eight or whatever it may be, that will give them a higher fuel flow rate. But it'll be for, you know, then eventually they're going to have to back it down. So there was talk that Ferrari had found a way of bypassing that sensor, which, of course, is very much against the, the rules and, and the, the, you know, the integrity of the sport. And a couple of teams protested and, and you know, said that they they wanted the FIA to investigate this now i think it was the austin race last year ferrari was suddenly a percentage down in straight line speed compared to where they'd been at previous races and this was around the time when people were you know raising these questions so a lot of people were saying oh you know there you go ferrari have had the knuckles wrapped and they've you know backed off Ferrari, you know, said, Oh no, we haven't done anything wrong, it's just a different car configuration, what have you. But they were noticeably slower from that point of the season onwards, and it all went a little bit quiet. Now it turns out that without anybody knowing, the FIA had been doing a you know an investigation into this, and they have come up with a settlement with Ferrari uh, on this issue now. The wording of it does not. There's nothing in the statement that says the Ferrari engine was legal at any. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say. Oh, Ferrari were totally cleared of any problems, and you know, their their engine was legal at all times. It doesn't say that. It just says that after the investigation, the FAA and Ferrari have come up with an come to a you know an agreement, a settlement. So, the way I'm reading this is that after some investigation, they found that Ferrari were running an illegal engine configuration at points last year. Now, Ferrari may be going, oh, well, we didn't realize it's purely accidental. You know, let's not make a big deal of this. And let's just sweep this under the carpet. I don't know where the sort of state or the the, the duration of liability comes in with Formula One uh, in that potentially if it had been proven that Ferrari engines were illegal at times last year and deliberately so. They could be stripped of their constructors points uh, and then stripped from the championship, therefore lose money. Um, and also, you know, the other Ferrari teams were potentially in the same boat. So you'd be looking at uh, Haas and uh, Alpha as well, being in that boat. Now, historically, Ferrari have this very cozy relationship with the FIA. And of course, it's all, you know, conspiracy theories and, uh, and the like. Um, Now, certainly Ferrari haven't helped themselves here and the FIA haven't helped themselves. But what they've done has been perfectly legal. There is a clause in the technical regulations or the sporting regulations whereby um, due to the sensitivity of of these um, designs and components within these cars, the FIA can do an investigation behind closed doors without anybody else being involved in the investigation. So. You know, and and all the teams signed up. To, I think that clause was put in about 2010, from what I was reading earlier. So all the teams signed up for this, and all the teams know that this clause is there in the in the in the regulations. So I understand why they're complaining and want the transparency, but they also signed up to the agreement to not have these discri- this, these investigations in the public eye. So it's a little bit of a you know, I, I know what they're saying, but then they've also got to be careful because they did vote for this, um, you know, configuration of rules.
1: So either way, so are, what are what are the Formula One teams the undersigned hoping to gain? Are, are they hoping to to see Ferrari stripped of points from from a season gone by?
3: I don't know. I, or are, I, I are they just they...
1: are they just trying to say, hey, this is some bullshit?
3: Well, much, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but again, if they're trying to do, if they're trying to say, you know, these rules are unfair, well, they stand up for them. You know, so it's very, very difficult. You know, it's like standing up for a rule and going, oh, shit. Yeah, actually, that's not very fair because it's been used against us. Uh, can we change the rules? Well, you did agree to it. So, you know, I, I, I have sympathy with them because on the face of it. Yeah, it does look like Ferrari and the FIA have pulled the wool's, uh, wool over the other team's eyes here a little bit. And I get their. Unhappiness, but again, they created the rules and they agreed to them, so they've got to be a little bit careful with how aggressive they push this. Um, right, because they could they could be the
1: next one having the uh, I mean, pri- private investigation.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it's a damn good thing that Ferrari didn't win the championship last year, otherwise it'd be really smelly.
1: Would we'll be really smelly, yeah. So now, speaking of Ferrari, we, we've got some we've got some issues with the Formula One schedule. And specifically some of the races in Asia, we've already, we're postponing the Chinese Grand Prix. And now there's something coming out with the the Vietnamese Grand Prix that they're not going to allow anybody from Italy to travel into the country. So that will, of course, threaten to cancel or postpone another Grand Prix. All this due to the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, how, uh, how legit is that threat in your mind?
3: I mean... Uh- Ironically, China's probably one of the safest places right now. I think it's sort of uh, peaked in China, hasn't it? but um, uh, I, I think that the logistics of a race, I, I personally believe that if the t- if the organizations and the event management you know run run this in an appropriate manner. The teams and the drivers and the personnel and the engineers can be pretty well isolated from the rest of the, you know, from the general population. You know, you can have quarantine hotels, you can have quarantine transportation to and from the circuit. You know, the the F1 paddock, you can't, you know, you just prevent VIPs. You, you know, only open up the paddock to Formula One personnel. You know, you unfortunately he would be a big hit to the sport because everybody loves to see, you know, the VIPs. And I'm sure. Vietnam, Vietnam being its first race, has quite a long list of people that would be, uh, you know, wanting to meet the drivers, etc. But I think it's doable. Um, The the problem is the political fallout because it's like, well, Formula One can do this, but why can't, you know, everybody else's have to be, you know, restricted. So they've got to be a little bit careful with that. But I think if they come to a smart agreement and a smart decision and then carefully think about it, they can make it work.
2: Well, also, at the same time. Here in the US, over in Spain, over in Italy, they're still having some sports uh, sporting matches but with no spectators. They're not yes. opening yeah. so there are but, ways like you're saying of doing it. It's yeah, just mean, a matter of being the, smart yeah. about it.
3: I mean, I don't
1: think the concern yeah, but I mean to hold place. to hold a sporting event with no spectators is essentially saying, <laughs> you know, we're 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 well, we're going that
3: every week, isn't it?
1: well we we're, we're we're playing for, for we're playing for free cuz the these sports need their revenue as well oh, so cool. uh, and again i mean there is uh, you know equal parts overreaction to equal parts um you know media sensationalism over what's really going on so uh, and the story lies somewhere in between um i mean certainly uh, there is a legitimate health concern uh you know at the same time it's, you know, I don't, I don't know that it, that that we need to ban all this foreign travel, but then again, you know, I'm no CDC guy, so.
3: No, I think that, um, I I think they've just got to be smart about it. Um, I don't think the issue is, especially in 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 some of the countries where the outbreak isn't as as prevalent as you know maybe Italy isn't having a large number of people congregating in a small space. It's the, you know, Vietnam is obviously concerned about coming in, um, um, you know, coming into the country with the disease.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean that we're just having to see how all this plays out. Again, this is not this is not this is not our area of expertise to talk about. So, uh, so uh, let's move on and talk about something else. Um, so, uh, everything is still on for Australia, though. As
3: far as I know. As
1: far as I know, yep. And um, and IndyCar is supposed to start in St. Pete uh, in a couple of weeks on the the weekend of the fifteenth. And and uh, there's been a, a few uh, little news stories there. There have been a couple of cases of this coronavirus in the Tampa St. Pete area which has caused a little bit of concern there was a sensationalist article published in the Tampa Bay Times but IndyCar has said that they they really don't feel that the coronavirus will disrupt their schedule at all uh so it looks like everything is is going as planned for the for both the uh IndyCar and Formula 1 seasons to debut um IndyCar had a test uh last week their last uh test before the um the season gets underway at Sebring. Uh, we saw, oh, the Rahal team was down there. The uh, Andretti team was down there. Penske cars were down there. Uh, McLaren was down there. So they had another good positive test. there. guys getting some uh, more seat time with the new with the new aero screen. Uh, guys are getting more used to that, uh, and that'll be uh, something to to watch as we kind of go through uh, the season. But uh, I'm really excited for. Uh, uh, you know, the the you know, NASCAR has been going a couple weeks. I'm really excited for the uh, rest of the uh, series to get underway. But that being said, we're, we're approaching the end of our show. We didn't even mention the NASCAR race uh, that was out there at <laughs> Fontana. So, uh, Seth, we had a NASCAR race out there in Fontana. We saw yes, we did. young Alex yeah. Bowman win the race.
2: Uh, he not only won the race, he dominated the race. Uh, yeah, good for him. He, he led 110 laps and went on to a nine-second victory over Kyle Busch. Uh, it was just one of those races where there it went virtually caution-free aside from two uh, stage finishes. There's one caution for when uh, Clint Boyer had a flat tire. Otherwise, uh, it was a natural race, Other uh, and Alex Bowman just put a whooping on the field. Ryan Blaney was maybe the closest to him. Cut a tire with three laps to go, and ended up, I think, two laps down at the end, or one lap down at the end. So it was just Alex Bowman's day, as simple as that.
1: Was that his first series win or his second? second. That was his second. Okay. Well, where yeah. did he win last year? Was it uh,
2: Chicagoland?
1: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Now I remember. Yeah. Now, so
2: there was a first-time winner in the Xfinity Series. Young Harrison Burton won. Yeah, that is the son of former driver and current NASCAR on NBC commentator Jeff Burton. Uh, he, well, good
1: for him. Yeah, we've talked about Harrison a little bit in the in the past. There, he was uh, he's doing really well in the
2: Truck Series, and so he's moved up to Xfinity for this for this season. Yes, for Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, he's running for Rookie of the Year. He held off his other rookie teammate Riley Herbs for the win. Uh, also in the Xfinity Series, we had Anthony Alfredo in his debut finish sixth. He had Josh Williams in a Mario Goslin car finish 10th. Jeremy Clements in his uh, family car finished eighth, or sorry, ninth. And Mike Snyder in the Ryan Sieg Racing or RSS Racing, the car that normally starts in parks, finished 11th.
1: Well, good for him. Good for him to not start in park. So, so let's talk about the bounty on Kyle Busch.
2: Uh Yes, it, this is it, this it,
1: is this is really gained some momentum. So uh, just, just let, let's why don't you back up. Fill us in on the the start of the story. It Was Kevin Harvick that started this? Correct.
2: Oh, well, honestly, it actually goes back not to Kevin Harvick, but to uh, Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson tweeted out. Uh, some cherries to Kyle Bush, referencing how Kyle basically puts a whooping on the field and gets virtually no credit. And long story short, Kevin Harvick misunderstood that, went and challenged on Twitter Marcus Lomona's uh, Matched the challenge, so it went from 50000 to to 100000 It's for any full-time Cup Series driver earning Cup points, so that eliminates Timmy Hill, even though he's running full-time Cup, because he's re- earning Truck Series points. Uh, but Chase Elliott's taking up the offer, Kyle Larson's taking up the offer, Eric Jones has taken up the offer, John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, So it will be interesting. And then when it came out that truck series regulars were not going to be eligible for that bounty, Chris Larson, who co-owns Hallmar Friesen Racing, put up his own $50,000 bounty for any truck series regular who can beat Kyle Busch. All they have to do is beat him. They don't have to win.
1: Okay, well, the trick is to keep Kyle from winning. Which he does often enough in the truck series, so uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if anybody collects that. But I mean, that that can only kind of be good for the truck series in the long run when they have uh, some full-time Cup guys running these truck races because it's fewer and far between that we see that anymore. Uh, you know, we see these guys. You know, they they've limited the amount of uh, oh, you know, moonlighting they can do. Um, so it, it'll be it'll be. Pretty neat to see for the truck series if this can put some extra butts and seats on you know Friday night for the truck race or whatever.
2: It will be interesting, and Marcus Lemonis has also said that he is the uh, CEO of uh, Gander RV and Outdoors. If NASCAR and if Fox are willing to put the truck series onto the major network Fox, that he will increase the purse. To two hundred fifty thousand dollars, mind you, the average purse or the average truck team is only making somewhere around ten to twenty thousand dollars per race, and if the winner's purse is two hundred fifty thousand dollars, that would be something interesting to see as well.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's a tall order um, because most of these television schedules are set up well, well in advance, you know, and the, the truck series are generally slated for, um, you know, Fox Sports 1, or in some cases Fox Sports 2, um, the first half of the season. And, and you know, mind you, you've got uh, a lot of college basketball coming up uh, and other sports that you'll see on Fox, as well as their regular programming. So uh, I don't know if that's going to happen unless we get enough interest in there and then we and they, they want to bump something else over to Fox Sports 1. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if that comes to fruition, I'd be very surprised.
2: It, it, whether or not it comes to fruition, I think they have at least a chance because Atlanta is next week. To my knowledge, the it's a Saturday night because it's a doubleheader. There's not many other sports, at least at this time of year, that would be on the major Fox network.
1: Um, except every single NCAA basketball championship. All the well, conference, all the conference championships for the next it's two March weeks.
2: Madness, so it's yeah, March I mean, we're Madness. well.
1: I mean, you got the the conference championships precede March Madness. I mean, once we get to the actual March Madness, those will all be on the TBS networks, or TBS and CBS. But it, it, as far as all of the the different conference championships, are all going to be on the the networks, you know, for, split around. So sure. yes, I don't. I don't see it happening, but, hey, well, you know what I mean? Not, it's well, it's it's a neat uh, offer to put up there for the guy.
2: Well, here's the thing. Uh, one of Kyle's races is after the Triple Truck Challenge, which that is in April. So I want to say his last race is at Kansas in May. That might be a better option then for that one race. Whether or not that happens and whether or not the bounty is still up there at that time remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, unless somebody has collected it by then. So, All right, guys, we've just got a few more moments in the show. Um, we got about four minutes left. Are there any news stories we didn't touch on? Because I'm sure as soon as we get off the air, I'll remember something. So,
2: None that I can think of. Uh, well, JTG Doherty did get an L1 penalty uh, before <laughs> the race on Sunday, and that was for uh, essentially – messing with the aerodynamics on their cars, harkening back to what Richard was talking about earlier. Uh, they had to forfeit their qualifying positions. Uh, both crew chiefs were ejected and both teams lost 10 driver and owner points. Uh, that is Ryan priest and Ricky Stenhouse jr. My understanding is they designed something to fail on purpose, which was the latch that holds the, uh, Roof flaps down when the car is going straight, uh, which essentially forces the roof flap up, redirecting the air away from the spoilers.
3: Oh, surely not. I've never surely heard not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that old chestnut.
1: All right. Then the last thing I want to mention is uh, uh, the first day of the uh, IndyCar testing in Sebring. You know who was at the top of the time charts? Felipe Nasser in the Carlin car. So uh, you know, it wasn't a Penske, it wasn't Andretti, it was Felipe Nassar, who's likely to have some starch with Carlin in that in that in that second car. Um, it's going to be him and uh, I can't remember who the other guy that is probably splitting the seat time with him. But uh, very very nice, impressive test for Felipe Nasr. Wasn't
3: trivia and- on Felipe Nasser? Yes, he wants to use my office as a changing room when he was having a seat at Williams. Nice, nice. I had to leave my office so he could get changed into his <laughs> high suit. Rock and roll. Rock and
1: roll, <laughs> yep. There you go, yeah. So, uh, again, you know, a tal- talented driver there. He'd probably make a great addition to the IndyCar team, the um, the Carlin team, uh, you know, after their kind of, up and down, pretty disappointing uh, season of last year. Looking for some good results, and and coming out of a coming out of a test uh, with one day at the top of the time charts is 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 really um, a good a good boost for morale for that team as they get ready to uh, get the season underway.
3: It's so with, third season, wasn't it? Yes, third full season. Yeah,
1: third full season indeed. About yeah.
3: time they start, to, you know, if they're going to take it seriously, third season is when you start to need to, you know, put the kettle on pigeons, isn't it, a little bit?
1: certainly certainly
3: well that being said we are out of time so
1: i want to thank you uh richard i want to thank you seth i want to thank the hoobazoo radio network and i want to thank iheart radio and speaker and then and all you folks that tune in to listen and until next week enjoy the races good night W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's it, wizard.com. Get your website, get your website, get
3: your website, get your website.